Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas and early Happy New Year. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Aziz Nahas. I'm one of the pastors here in H2O Church. And if you're new here this morning, we are especially glad you could be with us. I would love to meet, meet with you afterwards and just get to know you a little bit. So this week, we are in the third week in our series called Manifest. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus the Christ. Through him, God has been made manifest to us. And as we've seen so far, through Jesus, we experience God with us. When we receive Jesus into our lives, when we believe in him as our Lord and Savior, God is with us. He fills the craving of our souls to be reunited with God. In addition, through Jesus, we experience the greatest expression of God for us. Jesus died for us to pay the price for our sins and to free us from slavery to sin. Through his death and resurrection, he conquered sin, death, the devil, for us. When we receive Jesus into our lives, when we believe in him as our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven, and we are restored to God forever. Just think about that for a moment. God with us. God for us. Just think about those two statements. We hear them so often as Christians, I think we lose sight of how amazing they are. The Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to be afraid of, no one to be afraid of. God is for us. God is with us. Just these two truths alone are so wonderful that I think sometimes they're even just too hard to believe. Like intellectually, as Christians, we'll say, yes, those are true but we don't really get it. We don't really believe it in the deepest parts of our hearts. We're afraid of other things. We feel alone. We feel hopeless. It's so easy to lose sight of these things. And the devil is constantly trying to make us forget about these truths, right? And, and yet, there is even more to Jesus coming to us. Now, maybe you're wondering, what could be more than God being with us and God being for us? Jesus' disciples couldn't imagine anything greater. And that was why, after three years of living with Jesus, of experiencing God with them and for them, imagine that, walking with God, talking to God physically, seeing him. Philip just said, please, just show us the Father, Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus said, you've been with me this long, and don't you understand, Philip? When you see me, you see the Father. So they were shaken to the core when near the end of this three years of ministry, Jesus tells them that they were about to be severely persecuted. And if that wasn't hard enough, he was leaving them. Wait, what? Leaving he says in John 16, 4 through 7, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He was leaving them? And just when they needed him the most? And wait a minute, what does he mean by it's an advantage? This seems to be exactly the opposite of an advantage, right? Isn't this the exact opposite of God being with us and for us? 
Thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This verse has always puzzled me. Intuitively, it's hard for me to understand. Intuitively, I would much prefer a physical Jesus standing right here who I could talk to and I could hold his hands and I could walk with him and watch him. That's what I'm drawn to. It doesn't make sense to me that it would be to me an advantage for him to leave so that I could have the helper? Who is this helper? A few verses earlier, Jesus tells us in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The helper is the Spirit of God. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see the Spirit of God working to create the cosmos. And his work continues throughout the pages of the Bible in the ages before Jesus. In stories throughout the Old Testament, we see God sending his Spirit into his people to manifest his presence to them and to empower them to do his will and proclaim his words. King David sang about the Spirit of God in his prayer of repentance after he sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. In Psalm 51, he sings, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit in David. In the years before Jesus, the Holy Spirit would come and go in people's lives, but God promised through his prophets that one day he would pour out his Spirit on his people permanently. And now in John 16, Jesus is reiterating that promise to his disciples, but with the new revelation that it is Jesus himself who would be the one to send the Spirit to dwell in God's people. This promise was fulfilled in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was crucified and then rose from the dead, seven days after he had ascended into heaven after his resurrection. He told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem till they received power from on high, till they received the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as he had promised them. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter, the leader of the disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven, explained to the amazed Jewish people who saw what was happening, and who, by the way, thought that the early Christians were drunk, <laughs> as a result of them all of a sudden speaking in all these foreign languages. He says this in Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, sometimes we wonder... When is Jesus coming back? It just seems like it's never going to happen. It's already been 2,000 years. And what we lose sight of is the fact the Holy Spirit has been poured out on his people. And that means that we are in the last days. Do you guys realize that? It's not that every day that passes means his return is farther and farther away. It means his return is closer and closer with each day. God has brought us to the final age before the return of Christ, before everything is set right. And during this time, he's calling on all to believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has prepared his people for the work he has given them to do, to tell the world about him, to make them to become like him by pouring out his spirit upon them. And this brings us back to Jesus' troubling words to his disciples in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So why was it to the disciples and our advantage for Jesus to go away? So that he would send them and us the Holy Spirit of God. And why was that an advantage? Because then we could experience all the time and forever Not only God with us and for us, but God in us. God in us. There is going to come a day when I will be walking with Jesus physically. And that is great. But God wants something even greater for us. He also wants to dwell in us. To do his work in us. Jesus was not abandoning them as they had feared. They would not be left alone and helpless He was providing something far greater than his physical presence and power outside of them. He was providing his presence and power inside of them forever. He helps them understand this in John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Because of Jesus, God is not only with us and for us, but also in us forever. And this allows us to experience God with us and for us in an even greater way. Think about it. (laughs) And this is what helps me grasp what Jesus is saying. How much more with us can God be than by being in us? (laughs) Right? Even the disciples sensed that. They were afraid, oh, Jesus is going to leave them. Even physically, you get a sense, you know, the farther and farther I am away from Jesus, physically, I'm farther from him. But if Jesus is in you, he's never far from you. 
He's always with you. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But he was ascending into heaven. What did he mean? This is how. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus in us. In Romans 8, 14 through 17, we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You guys, we are never alone because of God's spirit being in us. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. We are sons and daughters, and our Father is always with us. The Spirit allows us to experience the presence of God in us. And because God is with us, we know that he is for us. That's what the message throughout the Bible. Whenever God says, I am with you, it means that he is for them. And this takes on greater significance when we understand that his spirit is in us. Listen to Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, one of my favorite passages. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Since that is so, consider how much greater can God be for us than by being inside of us, right? The greatest help we need, think about it, is not on the outside, although that's usually what we focus on, right? We need help with money or finances or Illness, so many different things. But the greatest help that we need is on the inside, isn't it? A work that really only God can do. Now listen to what Jesus predicted in John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Because the Spirit is in us who believe in Jesus, we are able to be so filled with God that we overflow with his life and power. Not just a little bit of his life and power, so much that we overflow. Consider with me some of the ways that we experience God with us and for us because the Holy Spirit is in us. I'm just going to, I will share with you the verse references in a little bit, but I didn't want to get bogged down with that right now. But for now, just listen to these amazing truths. And unfortunately, again, we don't have time to even read through them all. I'm just going to summarize each of them. And I encourage you to look them up later yourselves. As we just read in Romans 8, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we are led by God and can experience intimate fellowship with God as his children. Earlier in the same chapter, we learned that because the Holy Spirit is in us, we have power to resist temptation and to lead holy lives. He also helps us in our weakness in the midst of suffering and temptation. Because we don't know how to pray, Romans 8 tells us that he prays for us, for what we really need. Have you ever felt that? I know I have. So often situations seem so overwhelming, so complicated, I don't even know what to pray. I just say, God, God, help. God, help. Have mercy. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray for. And he's praying for that. 
And in Acts 9.31, we read that because the Holy Spirit is in us, we can experience the comfort of God in the midst of suffering and persecution. In Romans 5.5 and Romans 15.13, we experience the love of God poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and are able to rejoice and have hope and peace even in the midst of suffering because Jesus has been given to save us. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that He is transforming us into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. You know, every year, this time of year, what do people tend to do? What do they tend to promise or uh, think about for the next year? What, what's that? New Year's resolutions, right? And most of them don't end up working out too well, right? Even after a week or two. Thankfully, God doesn't do that. He never gives up on us. He is working in us as his people to transform us from glory to glory. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that he gives us spiritual gifts to help us build up his church, the people of Jesus Christ, so that we can carry out his will and be like him. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm so inadequate, what can I do? Yes, you are inadequate. We are all inadequate for the task he's called us to, but he is more than adequate. And through his Spirit, he makes us adequate for what he calls us to do. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, Galatians 5 tells us that we are able to experience supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Wow. Think about that list for a little bit. It's amazing. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, Jesus promised in Acts 1.8 that the Holy Spirit will give us power to be his witnesses in all the earth. Oh boy, I don't know about you, when I think about talking to other people about Jesus, I feel scared. I feel weak. And on my own, I am. But he has given me and he's given you his spirit so that we can have power. So that when we open our mouths, he gives us words to speak. He takes the paltry words which we do speak and he uses them powerfully in people's hearts. And when we were persecuted, Jesus promised in Luke 12, 12, that the Holy Spirit will teach us what to say to our persecutors. So we don't need to worry about that ahead of time. Next week, we're talking about how Jesus is coming also allows us to experience God through us. So spoiler alert, this is what makes that possible. God in us because his spirit is in us. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, 2 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, also reminds us that our bodies are temples of God. God dwells in us. We are his temple. Sacred spaces set apart for honoring God, washed clean and justified by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, Titus 3, 4 through 7 tells us that we are washed moment by moment, made new and clean by his power, filled with the life of God. I know when, when I sin, what the devil rushes in to try to do is make me feel like I can never be forgiven now. I am dirty and filthy, and God would have no part of me. And it is a complete lie from hell. Jesus died, so my sins are forgiven. He sent his spirit. His spirit dwells in me, constantly cleansing me, renewing me, making me a temple for God. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, several passages teach us that he works to unite Christian brothers and sisters to help us to make peace with one another and have loving fellowship. If you think about it, it's a crazy, insane endeavor to bring together people from all walks of life and backgrounds and say, love one another, die for one another, 
humans, we draw into community, but we tend to tear each other apart. And the Holy Spirit is working to create a people of God, zealous for good works, in love with God, in love with one another. And in John 14 through 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he is sending the Holy Spirit to be with them in order to remind them of everything he has told them, to teach them everything they need to know, to tell them about the things that are to come in the future, and to help them to tell the world about him. So you may think, okay, well, that, he, he promised that for those apostles. How does that help us experience God with us and for us? Well, you guys, that is why we have the New Testament in the Bible that we depend on every day. The books of Matthew to Revelation were written by these very same disciples, the apostles. Because the Holy Spirit was in them, we believe these books are revelation from God and not just written by men because Jesus promised this. As I've read and thought about these verses, I have found them so encouraging over the last couple of weeks and I so easily lose sight of them otherwise. Because Jesus came, we can permanently have the Holy Spirit in us, God in us. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, we can experience God with us, for us, in us, and through us. It's our whole series, right? His presence, His power, His purity, His proclamation. And this gives us a certain hope rather than a wishful hope. You know, so often, right, that's what we do. We, we hope for things that might happen. But so often they don't, and we're left discouraged. I know for me, life is so often discouraging, depressing even, and hopeless. Throughout the year, I struggle with depression. And I've noticed, well, actually, I, I didn't notice it really until my wife pointed out, it's worse around Christmas. And she asked, she, she noted that, and I, I've been thinking about that. Like, why is that? Why Christmas of all times of the year? I'm surrounded by Fun and joy and delicious food and friends and love and incredible things. Why am I so down? And I think because I, I get my hopes up for the holidays, right? The whole rest of the year, it's like, okay, yeah, it's the rest of the year. Life sucks. It's hard. You know, whatever. You deal with it. This is life. But Christmas, oh, Christmas will be different. Christmas will be different. And guess what? It's not. It's still hard. And a grind in many ways. And so many things picking at you and wearing you down. And things still happen. Like the Buckeyes losing. But far worse than that. People suffering. People ill. People dying. Still. It doesn't take a break during the holidays. And I've, got, I've come to realize that I think I put my hope in the holidays. Rather than the reason for the holidays. I lose sight of the, the certain hope that God has promised. And I put my hope on the things that are hopeful, wishful, possible, maybe. But God hasn't promised those things. And, and I know I was sitting there in, in, in the holiday, and, and two things brought me through it. First of all, just the power of the Holy Spirit in me. What I realize is when I'm in these situations, I, sometimes I don't know how to navigate my way out. I don't see any hope. It's not clear to me. Even my wife was reminding me of these truths and it still wasn't getting through. But what I've discovered is that because the Holy Spirit is in me, He's working in me, eventually He always works some way through people, circumstance, through His Word to lift my spirits, to comfort and encourage me and inspire me with His presence, to help me to grieve honestly and to help me rejoice 
to empower me to do his will, to change me to become a better man, to unite me with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and to use me to tell the world about Jesus. It has never failed throughout the years. He has always done this work in me. And that gives me hope for the future, a certain hope that what I'm feeling in this moment is not the end of the story. And there's another way that he lifted my spirits through him being in us. Not the Holy Spirit being in me, but the Holy Spirit being in and working through my youngest son. We were there Christmas morning, and I was, well, we do it on the 21st this year. Uh, we like to do it a little early so that we can play with the games and stuff together, <laughs> have more fun time together. And, and I was feeling down, and I wasn't sure why. And then I started noticing something amazing happening. My youngest son, I don't know, for weeks or months, I'm not sure, he tells us it's a mystery, it's a secret. He has been thinking and dreaming about how he can bless us and how he can give us gifts, a gift that's perfect for each one of us. And he had a job this summer, and he used his money, uh, I think about quite a lot of it, to buy those gifts for us. And we started, each of us, me, my other two sons, my wife, opening these gifts, and we were blown away by his thoughtfulness, his work, the time he spent, the money he spent. And I opened up my gift, and I just thought, wow, I don't deserve this, God. I'm... I'm down and I shouldn't be. You don't, you don't deserve the way I'm thinking in this moment, but you don't care. You still love me. And your spirit worked in my son to show me that love, to give me that gift, which was much greater than an amazing board game, which by the way was really a great gift, uh, which I never even heard of, and it was a lot of fun. We loved playing it, but it was far more than that. It was a reminder to me of the gift of God, the gift of his son, the gift of his spirit in me and in my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God is in us, we have hope in this world. We're not alone. He is with us. We are with one another, and he is in one another. And together he works in our midst to do amazing things. Now, at the same time, as I've read and thought about these verses, I've also found them sobering. People have asked me this. They say, look, look at all these promises about the Holy Spirit. I don't always experience these things. What's going on? Now, the Holy Spirit does many things for us that do not depend on us. For example, in John, we read how the Holy Spirit convicts people about sin, judgment, and righteousness. And in Romans, we read how the Holy Spirit in Christians prays for us when we do not know how to pray. But at the same time, as, we, as I read through these verses and as we read through them, we learn that the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do and wants to do in us and for us and through us are often dependent on our response to him. Yes, there are things he just does in us no matter what we do, no matter how we respond, no matter how down we are or uh, unresponsive to him, he still works in us and among us. But at the same time, there is so much he wants to do in us that depends upon our response to him. In Galatians 5, we're told to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to choose to be led by the Spirit if we want to experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And in Romans 8, we're told that we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit if we want to experience freedom from the power of sin. Note warnings like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. 
Ephesians 4.30 warns us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit? Isaiah 63.10 tells us, But they rebelled and grieved His Spirit. Therefore He turned to be their enemy and Himself fought against them. And Stephen, the first martyr for Jesus, told the people who were about to kill Him in Acts 7, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You guys, we are actually able to quench, grieve, and resist the Holy Spirit who is in us when we stubbornly refuse to believe and obey God. Instead of rivers of living water flowing out of us, we experience only a trickle or even nothing at all. And inside, we begin to stagnate and stink, both as individuals and as a church. So what do we have to do to fully experience the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Well, first, we have to believe and obey God by believing in Jesus, the one he has sent to be our Lord and Savior. As we read earlier in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. As Ephesians 1, 13-14 explains, In Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We cannot fully experience God in us until we have his spirit living in us. And that doesn't happen until we believe in Jesus. When we turn our lives over to Jesus and trust in him to save us, he sends his spirit to dwell in us forever. Have you guys done that yet? I know many of you have, but maybe some of you haven't. Have you believed in Jesus, accepting him as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't yet, you can yet this morning. The greatest gift he has ever given us, he is still offering today. He's offering to you. He is not waiting for you to clean up your life or make up for your sins. He welcomes you just as you are. If you are willing to welcome him into your life just as he is. So first we need to believe in Jesus in order to receive his spirit to dwell in us. Well, what do we need to do next in order to fully experience his work in our lives? The same thing. We have to continue to believe God and obey him, especially by believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As Paul reminded the Galatian Christians in Galatians 3, 1 through 6, we need to be reminded as well. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We need to unite hearing with faith. We need to listen to God, believe what he's telling us, and act on it. 
That's how we unlock the, the gates. So those rivers of living water flow through us and in us and out of us. How do you guys feel about the coming new year? I know this dreary day, it's, everything seems kind of glum. Does it fill you with anticipation or trepidation? Are you looking forward to it or dreading it? To help you face the new year, I want to give you the verses we mentioned today to meditate on. And they hopefully are on the screen or the sea. There they are. Great. So please take a moment right now and take a picture of the screen. Uh, hopefully my head's not in the way. I'm going to move so that you don't get my bald head or any glare coming off of it. And for those of you without cameras, I have also made a few printouts, and they are back on the info table. It's like a half sheet of paper. So please pick one of those up before leaving today. So what I want to ask you guys to do and uh, challenge you with this week is to take 15 minutes and read through these verses and meditate on them for your lives. We rushed through them today. You haven't had a chance to really dwell upon them as I have as in preparing for this. And I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself this question. How does it affect, let's see, everyone get that picture? Great, okay. Go ahead, can you go to the next slide? How does it affect my thoughts and feelings? Well, I mean, you might want to take a picture of that too, I guess. Uh, to have the Holy Spirit living in me. How does it affect my thoughts and feelings to think of the Holy Spirit living in me? Be encouraged by the truth that God is in you through His Spirit by believing in Jesus. And at the same time, I want to ask you to soberly ask yourself these questions as well. Am I grieving or resisting the Holy Spirit in any way? Am I believing in Jesus, trusting and obeying Him as my Lord and Savior? Am I believing the Bible and applying it to my life? Take time to resolve whatever is blocking the waters of life from pouring out of you, from experiencing the Holy Spirit, the presence, the power, the purity, and the proclamation of God in you. As we face the new year, this is my prayer for all of you, for myself included, from one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the God of hope. <laughs> in a world that seems hopeless, you are a God of hope. And not just positive thinking, wishful thinking, possibilities. Indeed, you are a God of possibilities, but you're also a God of promises, of certain hope, of a certain future. And we rejoice in that. We find peace in that. Lord, help us to focus upon these things and find our hope in these truths. Lord, and help us to believe them so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit to dwell in us. Thank you for not leaving us alone, abandoning us as orphans. You are with us even now. And one day, in the great consummation, we will be with you as well, physically, with you and in you, and you in us. In Jesus' name, amen.